Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to episode 54 of the Adventures in Advising podcast. In this episode, we speak with Chris Kirchhoff from University of Pittsburgh and Arlene Leon Guerrero from University of Guam. And Jamie Engel from DePaul University is with me to guest host. If you don't already, please show this podcast some love and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Advising Podcast and YouTube at Adventures in Advising. Now, here's episode 54. Welcome back to the Adventures in Advising podcast. Another fine episode today, but before we get to that, congrats to the authors of the Higher Education Personal Tutors and Advisors Companion, which just officially launched recently, and this is in association with UCAT. Also, the deadline for many of the Nakata Global Awards is coming up. March 15th is a deadline for awards such as the Outstanding Advisor, Outstanding Administrator, Outstanding Program, Advising Innovation, and many of the scholarships. And if you're asking what exactly are the Global Awards, they're designed to honor individuals and institutions making significant contributions to the improvement of academic advising within higher ed around the world. Check the show notes for the link or simply Google Nakata Global Awards. Now let's get to our first interview. Jamie Engel from DePaul University is back and she's guest hosting this episode as we interview Chris Kirchhoff from University of Pittsburgh. Hey, we have Jamie Engel from DePaul University back with us. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad you could make it. And... If you haven't checked out episode 50 of the podcast where I got to interview Jamie, it's a fun time. And this time, Jamie is joining me so we can interview a buddy of ours, and that is Chris Kirchhoff. And Chris is the Director of Undergraduate Recruitment and Transfer Student Services for the Swanson School of Engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. Chris has worked at Pitt since 2009, serving as an academic advisor for both freshmen and transfer students. Chris also has served as a program assistant for engineering study abroad experiences for first-year students. Chris has served in various leadership roles in Nakata, serving as Western Pennsylvania Liaison, Advising Transfer Students, Advising Community Chair for 2017, Region 2 Conference Co-Chair, Region Chair, and currently as a Regional Division Representative on the Nakata Council. Chris holds a Bachelor's Degree in History Education from Providence College and a Master's Degree in Educational Leadership from Central Connecticut State University. Chris, how's it going? Oh, good, good. It's it's weird to hear my life like kind of flash before my eyes there. So it's uh very cool. Thanks for uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, and funny thing, I was going to say welcome to the podcast, but since this is now appearance number three, welcome back. And this is the first time we actually get to interview you um, to get to know you better. Um, the other two times, it's more talking about Nakata region conferences. So I'm glad we got to make this work out. Very cool. Yeah, um, I have to hold up the. Uh, your recurring guest uh, status here. So, well, yeah, third time's a charm. So we get to learn about the, the charming man behind oh. <laughs> region division rep. <laughs> and I definitely, if I can dive on in, Matt. Um, Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, Matt and I are both new region chairs and odd region chairs, uh, <laughs> five and nine. And so I know we'll both have some questions probably for you about your experiences in that area. But um, with your bio, I was interested by that mention of um, supervising, I believe it was some study abroad programs for first year students. 
Um, my, my biggest regret in college was not studying abroad for a full semester. Have you studied abroad? And whether or not you have, how did you get into that position? So I actually uh, never studied abroad in my undergrad, and that was one of my regrets as well. And then in this position um, at the university, we have some programs that are geared towards first-year students. And working as an academic advisor, they asked me one time um, if I was able to fill in for someone who recently got pregnant um, on short notice to a trip. Um, And that was in 2011. We took us 20 for engineering students and business students down to um, Vina del Mar, Chile. And we did a really, we had a really good time uh, just kind of learning about um, the country and the engineering principles there. So um, when the opportunity came back to um, take a class uh in 2019 to China, I jumped at it and we were supposed to go, um, but the pandemic, um, you know, put things on hold. And so excitingly enough, um, going again in May, we're taking uh, some business students to Cyprus, which is a place that I never thought I would go in my life. Um, But uh, we're really excited about it because it's one of those experiences where for students, it's their first time sometimes traveling abroad, but definitely in an educational setting and just getting to see those little aha moments that they have of, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Um, it's really cool. And it really um, just helps to you know build a bond with students, but also help kind of shape how they're going to attack the next, you know, three or four years of their education, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of the world out there to explore. So being able to um, look at um, both business and engineering and how, you know, we're much larger than this one little city or this country is, uh, it's really cool. Yeah. And I know sometimes when students ask, should I do study abroad? And, you know, I tell them, I mean, it's probably different at, at, other institutions, but, you know, maybe you can use your financial aid to help cover with, with some of those fees. But sometimes they're like, well, I'll just do it after I graduate. And I tell them, don't, because that's what I told myself was, oh, I'll, I'll go to those places after I graduate. And I'm like, well, now I need money for that. And possibly the school could have helped me do that. Yep. So do you end up having some of those conversations with your students? Um, whenever they're on the fence, yeah. And it's it's always a matter of, you know, go, go now before you have a mortgage and student loan payments and all those sorts of things. Um, but really because you're doing it with the university, you're able to um really be in a more structured environment and goes to some different places that are going to be a little maybe non-touristy because once you're in the working world yet yeah, you can go to you know london or wherever um but some of the places that we've been able to go and have had access to is um quite remarkable because we work with university partners all over the globe that's great so yeah another thing i'm hearing here is that i need to start taking advantage of DePaul student program where I can maybe assist as a staff member. (laughs) Basically it's kind of like some of the stuff in Nakata just keep saying yes to things and they'll keep you in mind. And then you start to like snowball from there. So um, it's definitely uh, a really cool opportunity. I know a lot of people haven't had um, been able to have, and I know I'm lucky because I've got a very good, um, my wife is very supportive of being able to let me do those sorts of things. Um, and just kind of take off. But it's been it's been a fun experience. Well, and on that note of saying yes to things, a, a fine transition into how did you get to this Nakata position you're in now? Maybe let's start all the way back at how you became region chair and why. <laughs> well, 
I'll, I'll take it back even before region chair. I remember I went to a regional conference and we had all of our different area and state meetings. And I walked into the room for Western Pennsylvania and it was me and one other person and that was it. And, and we were kind of like looking around and they needed someone to run. So I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I'll run for it. Um, and then it got into, you know, Hey, we want to have a regional conference in Pittsburgh. We need people. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll bring my crew. I'll bring my, uh, my staff and the people I work with. Um, and it just kind of kept snowballing from there. And then, you know, it, it's always been re- really about timing because as soon as the region conference was up, they were doing an election for region chair. Well, I worked really well with the region chairs during the planning of the conference. So let me see if I can, you know, help help that because that was one of the great preparations for being a, a chair. And then, um, you know, when that term is up, a council position comes up. So it's like, okay, well, I just want to, you know, kind of keep the momentum, uh, the forward momentum going because there's so much, you know, information that you learn, but so much that you're able to pass on after two years. So it's one where you didn't really go in saying, I want to go and be in these positions. You kind of stumbled into it or the opportunity came up and then you jump to it. Oh yeah, I I totally kind of just stumbled in. I didn't really have any sort of big ideas of I want to I want that position. Um, it was just finding people who got were involved and just working with them. Um, to be honest, the first position I ran for in Nakata, I lost, and it was for an advising community chair. And the the person who won that invited me onto the steering committee, and we're great friends. And um, being able to uh, you know work with him, kind of see how how the advising communities go and, you know, where do I want to go with that track? It was valuable. So it was just kind of putting yourself out there and making sure, you know, say yes when opportunities arise. That is, that's such a, you know, a story that a lot of us can sort of, uh, you know, agree, you know, share those experiences with for how we got in. Um, Now with that, um, I'd be interested to know, um, what is it you enjoy most about the region division rep? Because it seems like so much responsibility. You guys do such a good job keeping us region chairs in order. We're doing a lot of stuff, but we're also having fun. So yeah. <laughs> what do you like about being a division rep? <laughs> what I really like is kind of seeing all the different cultures of the regions, because I mean, I, I'm from region two. I've only been in positions within region two, um, but then starting to hear what goes on in the different neighboring regions, how they run their conferences, how they run some of their drive-in events, how they run their awards, and just hearing all the differences. Like I didn't realize how different each one was because I came in with this perception of, oh, well, everyone runs it like this. And that was really eye-opening, but it, it made me start to think like, okay, well, here's what we do in two. Maybe we can apply that here, but that doesn't work in two. Maybe, you know, one can do that. And so all these different like little moving pieces were, were beneficial. And then obviously like as soon as I got on the council, you know, a lot, there were a lot of cancellations because of COVID. So then it really became an opportunity to say, okay, well, let's take everything that everyone's doing really good and kind of merge that together in the virtual conferences and the combined conferences. And I think from that combination that you had, you had a lot of really good working groups that came about and, you know, they're talking about like, do these regions want to have a joint conference down the road? And, And so like, that's really cool to see because, you know, 
as we as we grow and as people kind of come out of the pandemic and want to travel more, there's a lot of really good opportunities that are out there. So it's kind of about finding those sort of like I, I view it like almost like an all star team, those all star matchups that can occur is um, it, it's really exciting. It's fun to see. Yeah. And, you know, post pandemic, I mean, I guess we're kind of still in it, but yeah. we're further out where we used to be. But yeah, it's kind of just being as creative as possible and kind of going with going with the flow of things. But what exactly does a regional division rep do? <laughs> oh, it's um, you you really get to work well with the executive office. So Ben Hopper is you know our go to and um, Stephanie Schrader, and then um, working with the other division rep. Um, uh, I came on with uh, Karen Lewis and Kelly Medley, and now um, Leah uh, from the University of Washington is who I'm working with. And it's uh, I, the idea of um, just seeing where we need to make things aligned and seeing where regions are able to you know do their thing and help to give ideas, especially when it comes around time for like setting goals for each region and you know finding ways to you know potentially you know push regions through like, hey, we've thought about doing this or hey, let's document this. So um I mean as you guys know, that that two years comes and goes so quickly that by the time you feel like you've got a handle on the job, you're voting someone to take your place. So it's about letting, making sure people are able to hit the ground running, but, you know, setting goals that they're able to, um, you know, document and maybe parlay into year two or year three when they pass it on to somebody else. That's really helpful. I can certainly understand the appeal of working with those all-stars, like you said. Yeah. I, I love, you know, connecting and helping develop other advisors and whatnot. Well, um, if I'm not getting too far ahead of myself, where do you see yourself after this position? Elections. <laughs> um, I mean, elections are going on right now. I'm running for the board of directors. We'll see what happens uh, with that. Um, there's a great slate of candidates. And if I'm not elected to that, um, looking at, okay, well, how can I get more involved with the regions? How can I get more involved working with some certain different pockets of population? Um, and for me, one thing that struck me very early on in Nakata was uh, a region chair was talking about the value in the association isn't what you know, it's what you're willing to share. And so not necessarily being too big for a position, you know, taking, you know, smaller roles within the association, passing on knowledge, you know, talking with new members about, oh, hey, here's here's what I did in this role and here's, you know, how you can modify it or change it. Um, so, I don't know. I like, I don't have a five-year plan. I don't have like a destination, like, Oh, that is exactly where I want to be. Um, you know, things, you know, th things will happen for a reason and kind of seeing where, uh, where this road takes me. Um, I think, you know, because at some points, you know, there are certain positions that are very tough to come by. Um, we'll see where it goes. Um, I want to try to make sure to be involved with, you know, annual conference um, when it is in Pittsburgh in 2024, you know, whatever role that may, may be and just kind of see where, um, where the next couple of years go with the association. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. 
Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with the admissions game wherever you podcast. I think listeners who might want to just get, you know, they're interested in getting more involved. It's knowing that there's there's so many different ways. And I think, you know, doing a, a, just say the annual conference, it's like, yeah, you have your your co-chairs for the conference, but then you have all your subcommittee chairs and then they have members within their subcommittees. So there's always some, something that, that someone can do to, to jump in. And I mean, and Matt, as you know, there's so much support at the executive office level, but then there's also so many different opportunities for people to really, you know, get involved, you know, both on the forward facing and and on the backside. I mean, part of it is just going through all proposals and trying to map out who, uh, you know, who's presenting where some of that stuff's like the kind of the fun puzzles that you see sometimes. Yeah. Can I ask you this about, so, cause you're, you're running, doing an election um, and then you have to do the like 20, 30 second video. (laughs) (laughs) How difficult is it to sub up and try to, you know, talk about yourself and what you want to do in 30 seconds. 30 seconds is not a lot of time. I, I, I would type it out and it would take me about 37 takes to get one where I'm not swearing or just like, you know, blah at the camera because I mess up. Um, but then as you start to time it, it's like, that's not a lot of time. By the time you get through your name and where you're from, um, you're practically done. So I think it's just hitting on those one or two key points that um, you just want people to um, take away, you know, and hope that they watch it, hope they watch it to the end. Um, And for me, hope they spell my name right. Um, And just making sure that, um, you know, you're, you're succinct with it and making sure that people know exactly where you stand on, on certain topics. But 30 seconds is not a lot of time. No, it's not. I, I, when I ran last year for region chair, I was unopposed, fortunately, but I w- had no idea what to do. So I made a song parody video that I'm happy to share with anybody at any time. It was gold. Um, <laughs> oh, we can put that in the show notes. We'll put the link there. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of sad that it was it, like, it really wasn't necessary. You know, how many people actually watched it since I was unopposed? So yeah, I want to get it out there. Um, <laughs> well, thanks, Chris. Um, well, now I am interested because you do everything at such a high level. You seem and it seems to work out well. <laughs> at least, you know, I don't know what behind the scenes looks like. Can you share with us a little bit about how you manage the day to day of a demanding job as a director and such a high profile Nakata position? Um, it's a lot of, um, doing the kata work during lunch a lot of times, um, and trying to be able to focus. Um, I was not one of those students in college that was very good with time management. And so even today I will read an email, then put it back and then read it again and and, bouncing those. Um, I think for me, it is just not procrastinating on things when there is a project that we're working on, let's just get it done. Um, And that is, you know, something with my institution and with Nakata, you know, making sure that the meetings are, are productive meetings, making sure that it's time for us to, you know, 
identify where what we need to do when we need to do it and, and who's going to do it. Um, and, you know, taking a look at those those aspects. The role that I'm in right now at Pitt is a newer role for me. Um, I'm only a few months into the recruitment aspects of, of this job. And so it's kind of learning on the fly, but also trusting the people around who are the experts already who have been doing this for years and making sure that, you know, you know, they've got the space to do what they need to do, but then they're supported behind it as well. Um, and just trying to stay, stay on top of everything. If it's not on my Outlook calendar, it doesn't exist, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and just trying to make sure that, you know, nothing falls through the cracks. And I feel bad sometimes that it might feel like micromanaging people, but I'm asking questions just because I want to make sure that I'm that we're, we're lockstep in terms of I know what you need to do and uh, what needs supporting. Yeah, because sometimes if you don't ask those questions and it's going to come back to you somehow. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can't assume. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about um, being at Pitt. Can you talk, maybe we, go, we talked about Nakata. I'm sure we're going to talk more about EOP. But can we talk more about your path, how you got to Pitt? Oh, so um, from the bio, you heard my undergraduate degree. And um, it was his, in history and secondary ed. So... I, going to college, thought I was going to be a social studies teacher for the rest of my life. Um, and uh, my first jobs out of college were, were there. I was working at um, a middle school and high school in Connecticut and um, was liking it, but it was okay. And um, then my wife's uh, job, um, she works in the finance industry, got moved out to Detroit, Michigan. So I spent a year out there. Um, teaching at an inner city charter school and um, coaching JV basketball. We were 0 and 11. It was fantastic. We, 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 every game was close, though. Every game was close. Um, and then we got um, moved out to Pittsburgh, and it was time to just look at, like, okay, well, what else is out there that's in education? And my, I worked a lot with eighth graders and ninth graders. So that is a huge transition year for students. And I saw a job open up at the university here that was working with freshmen. And I'm like, well, 12th to 13th grade, that's a big transition as well. So um, I went in, interviewed, um, used my personality and um, got the position. And um, for about a year, just solely worked with freshmen and then, um, Transfer students were not um, a big priority for the university. And so since I was low man on the totem pole, I got the transfer population, uh, you know, kind of tacked onto my role. And um, I've I've loved working with them because I'm a big fan of, you know, the non-traditional student, the underdog, the people who, you know, kind of need support. And I was not a transfer student um, in college. And so now seeing the university experience through their lens is was eye-opening to me in terms of what what we do well and what we don't do well and making sure we identify those and making sure people know um, at the highest of levels what we what we what we can do better, basically. Wow, that is an interesting path. Sounds like you're really good at marketing yourself. Hey, this is how I, it's I a very wind, <laughs> a very winding path, yeah. Well, now, so I, I have to assume that the position you're in now isn't quite as front facing. Is that the case? Um, and if um, not, do you miss being more? You know, it, it's 
it's not as front facing with our current students. Um, I kind of miss those aspects of um, being able to see students throughout the, you know, their two, three, four year path. Um, a lot of the work that I'll do right now is you know, either transactional or in their first working within in the first semester. So seeing that growth is a little um you know, something that I wish was more. Um, but that's where, you know, getting involved with other things on campus, the the study abroad trips, you help to kind of build those interstudent relationships, but also the relationships on this campus. Uh, we've got a lot of great advisors and a lot of great staff and faculty and being able to work with them and create programs with them year after year is pretty cool. Did, do you still teach or used to teach a engineering student seminar? So I teach a transfer seminar each semester for our new students. And that's, um, I've tried to hand that off more and more to our peer mentors, because um, to be honest, that's who the students want to hear from. The students want to hear from other students and their experiences. So um, I still supervise our mentors and um, am in front of the classroom a little bit with them, but try to as much as possible to hand that off to um, the students, not because I don't want to be there, but because I think the students get more out from hearing it from their peers. Yeah, this is a, a award-winning seminar, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we won a um, uh, Nakata Award from 2016 for um, uh, advising programs. So um, that was a very proud proud moment for us. Um, we we do a lot and have done a lot um, just to get students equated to the entire campus. Um, one of the things that we used to do, and I want to try to get it starting back up again, is, you know, if if you've never been to our campus in Pittsburgh, we're maybe three miles outside of downtown in a little um, community called Oakland. And what we will do is um, one of the first weekends of uh, school, we will force all the transfer students and all the freshmen actually um, onto the city buses and we all go downtown and we all go to a Pirates game uh, and um, force them to use public transportation there and back so they know how to get there and how to get back and they're doing it in these large groups. Um, And it's a really good way for them to kind of connect with each other and just kind of see the city but also start to feel comfortable because um, I'm a firm believer of where you go to school is going to be your home for, you know, the three, four or five years, however long you're there. So you want to make sure that you're using all the resources that are available to you, both, you know, on campus and off. Okay. Well, with mention of going to a Pirates game, that just, you know, an image popped into my head of you in this amazing suit and you're at a social at Cincinnati Annual. Can you refresh me a little bit about what was on that suit? Okay, so growing up in Connecticut, you've got to choose, you've got to choose your allegiance between Boston and New York. So I am a very big uh, Boston Red Sox fan. Um, we've been to probably about twenty two of the parks so far, um, trying to hit them all. Um, and it's it's one of those things where it was a generational thing for me growing up. Um, so baseball is um, my escape from the office and. Um, hopefully as long as the season can start on time, you know, you know, we typically will try to plan a vacation around like where they're going to be and kind of see it in a different part of the country. So, yep. Big, big Red Sox fan. Um, yeah, sometimes it gets a little obsessive, but, um, I've got all the bobbleheads in the back to kind of prove it, but. (laughs) 
Fair enough. You're credentialed. We get it. <laughs> and where, where does one get a, a head to toe suit representing their chosen team? Apparently Amazon. That was a, that was a, a gag gift that I never ended up returning. Um, but uh, yeah, it was um, I had to break that out just because, you know, they were playing at the time. And um, a couple of the people in the association who I know are big Yankee fans or not Red Sox fans. So you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta represent and support. And if it means me, you know, being the butt of a joke, I'll take it. (laughs) No, I, I appreciated it. I got to know you a lot better just seeing you in that. I was like, okay, now it's making sense. And I gotta tell you, living in Chicago, being from St. Louis, there are a few things that give me more joy than wearing Cardinals things around here. So (laughs) that's taking your life in your own hands. If you walk around the North side and Cardinal stuff, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm a risk taker. <laughs> well, uh, I, I suppose we can hop back to um, <laughs> institutional advising type of things. Yeah. How would you describe the University of Pittsburgh? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Oh, we, so I would classify two ways. I mean, we're a large research institution, you know, 20,000 undergraduate students, but within the School of Engineering, we're a very small college. Um, And um, since we're all housed in about one building, there's a really, there's a really good way for students to gain a sense of community within their majors and within their uh, years of class. So. we try to, the way we try to recruit students with it is you know we're a, we're a small college we're a tight knit college on a large university so you get the best of both worlds, um, and then we're also a university that's in a small neighborhood of Oakland um, with lots of green space but then you've got all the resources of the city five minutes down the road so it's not that we necessarily have an identity crisis but we've got a lot of different opportunities for students to you know if you want to be in you know. The big city, if you want to be in a small college town, you can have either of those aspects. Um, and for the educational aspect, if you want to learn Swahili or if you want to take classes in all of these, you know, um, you know, different areas of study in the social sciences, we've got that. But then we've got these opportunities for you to really build connections with your with your faculty. So it's kind of the best of both worlds um, that we try to to talk to students about. And, you know, we've got the sports, we've got all the, you know, the, the all the drama and the cultural arts, you know, in and around. So we were very, um, we hit a lot of different points for students. So as director, though, you know, these last year or so, you know, we've had a lot of institutions talk about like the great resignation yeah. and just changing of work schedules. Can I work remote? Can I do, am I going to always be on campus? Am I going to leave for a different interest? You know, I've yeah. had friends that at, at this institution where I'm at, where 
I thought they were going to be lifers at this at this school, and they ended up going and and doing something outside of higher ed. Yeah. How do you how do you continue to support like your staff? Um, I think it's you know trusting them in that you know scheduling wise. You know, we for a long time were fully remote. We're now in a hybrid model, so trusting people that when they need to be working remote, that they are going to work remote, um, giving them the opportunities um, to follow their passions or follow their interest areas of, you know, what about this job do you like? Okay, well, let's, let's draw that out a little bit more. So if it is, oh, you're really into building relationships with students. Okay, well, let's take this mentoring program or let's take this recruitment program for, um, or, or even just like student outreach programs, you know, let's build that up a little bit more. So um, finding those areas that people are passionate about and just giving people the opportunity to cultivate those, um, you know, working in higher ed, you know, the, the, the salaries are going to be what they're going to be. But um, at the end of the day, you've also got to be in a job where you're going to feel fulfilled. So it's making, making sure to, you know, hit on all of those key points. You sound like an excellent uh, person to work for. In that case, you told you totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and from my perspective, like one of the things that fulfills me is like being able to have the time in the workday or the the leave time to do like the Nakata type things. You know, that's to me that's important. So making sure that you know I express that as well, and making sure that you know people know what where where I see value and where. Um, you know, kind of where I want to get involved with it. That's great. I mean, to have a boss that's, you know, recognizes the value of Nakata, you know, kind of trickles down, I think, to to the rest of the staff and whatnot. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you all received that wonderful advising program award. Um, I guess I'm interested to know, are, are there a lot of other folks on your campus that are that committed to Nakata that they submit, you know, for awards and stuff? Because I know that's an issue. You know, there are campuses across the country that do great things. But if not everybody's involved or recognizes that value, they might not ever get that recognition. I think, you know, we have we have our jobs to do and the Nakata type things or the nominating someone or planning a session. This is the above and beyond. And it's not that people don't want to do it, but, you know, we're busy. There are a lot of advisors who are very busy, a lot busier than me, four, 500, 600 student caseloads. So saying, oh, hey, you're doing a great job, you know, fill out all this information as well. Um, it can sometimes feel like a little bit of a chore. So it's that seeing that it's not a chore, it's it's a, a way to be recognized. And I think, you know, from the years that I've ever read for awards, um, the strong ones come from where institutions value advising and value um, their staff. And they have potentially like a staff award already on their campus. So then it's just taking that packet, modifying it and submitting it for something else. And um, being able to see the value, really, you need that institutional support. And I mean, I hope that someday I'm nominating some of my staff or some of my colleagues here as well, because I think we do a good job. It's just a matter of finding finding the time and finding the um, the words to kind of you put the pen and paper and say, no, you deserve this this type of award. Really good, boss. <laughs> I think a lot of people listening are going to be like, can I go work for Chris? <laughs> he seems really Submit cool. your resumes too. No. 
I, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And I mean, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So back when um, I was in college, one of the things that I did at my college was I was the mascot. And so I was the person at the basketball games and hockey games jumping around and to earn money over the summer, I worked for a minor league baseball team and I was, I was the mascot for them. And it was, um, you know, a paid position, but you had to do all the stuff pregame and setting up the, you know, stadium and all those aspects. And I remember distinctly um, one day going in at about like seven in the morning, it was after a night game. So everyone's tired. and the general manager told me, you know, the general manager of like the whole organization was like, Hey, you know, we need the interns. We need you to go out to the bleachers and clean them off. You know, all the, the seagulls and all that stuff. So you know, you're cleaning up crap and no one wanted to do it, but you know, Hey, we're getting paid. So grab my rag, go out there. And about two minutes later, he's out joining us. And he's out there scrubbing it with us. And I, that was powerful to me. And he gave me a piece of advice. He said, Chris, never ask someone to do a job you're not willing to do yourself. And that has always stuck with me of whoever I work with, I have to be able to walk in their shoes and support them in that way. So that was something that has just stuck with me. It was a simple um a simple lesson on a Saturday morning back when I was in college, but it really, for me to find what leadership is, because you have to make sure you're leading, you know, leading from the front. You're really putting Matt to task here. I think with like what quote he's going to pull out of it. <laughs> That's exactly. I was making a note right now going, because there was one, something Chris said earlier. I was like, okay, write this down. Um, the, it's not what the value isn't what you put into the association, but what you're willing to share, something like yeah. that. First, yeah. I was like, that's gold. And then there was another gold nugget. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, when he was talking about being the underdog, I was like, okay, let me write that. And then now I'm like, okay, well, there's got to be this one now. <laughs> Man, oh my gosh. But mascot, I mean, you've got, you've got, you know, the fun fact, like ammo for any, any time that comes up. Like I was a mascot. And, and now I'm foreseeing, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, if Chris is not elected to the board of directors, I think we're going to have a Nakata mascot in the future. And I'm looking at Matt as someone that would probably be good to help design exactly what that's supposed to look like. This oh, is yeah. fun stuff, guys. Fun stuff. I'll help, I'll help design it. And then, yeah, Chris can wear it. I'm just trying to think of what what would it even be? I mean, well, it's like the like the EAV mascot is just that circle with EAV on it. There you go. Or just Charlie Nutt, just just you know, <laughs> he lives on. <laughs> See, I, you, you got to get a tall tall one though, because you know, depending on you know, if you ever go to like Disney World or Disneyland, you know, like the person who plays Goofy can't play Chippendale, so you have to kind of you know figure out what's the size of it going to be. Is it? I don't. Is know. there is there a photo that you have of you as as a mascot that you can send to us? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So we were um, the first two years. Okay, so it's Providence College. We're the Friars. For those of you, your listeners who don't know, a Friar is a monk. Um, so the first two years, it was like a Dalmatian dog. Um, it was a um, thing that was based on the the order of preachers um, of the university. But then they wanted something more marketable. So they went to 
of Friar type outfit in junior year. And this thing was a cross between like Ted Kennedy and um, I, I don't know, but it was bloated out with hair. It was awful. So then senior year. So we got a different one with the big hood and everything. Um, and it was it was wild. It was like every single year it was changing up a little bit. Um, but yeah. I'm envisioning uh, Ted Kennedy and Quasimodo combined. A little bit, yeah. I'll I'll send you some links and some pictures because it was just it, it, what a time to be alive. But I mean, it was it was also a really kind of fun experience because you got to like you know go to games, but then travel to tournaments, and um, you know there was a little element of secrecy with it, you know, um, and you could kind of just you're always no one can see who you are, so you just do whatever you want to do, um, and it, it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that element of secrecy, like you were the masked singer or something, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you can't talk, so you can't get in trouble. So you just kind of do your thing. Man, we took a left turn here. I'm sorry. We did, we did, but we wanted no. to know the man behind. <laughs> this, is what, this is what we like. We like these stories. <laughs> That's huge. I just, yeah, I know Chris so much more now. I thought the suit, I thought the Red Sox suit said something, but this, the marketable fryer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, where do we go from here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> how do we how do we contact Chris for more stories, right? <laughs> it only took how many episodes to stump you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or listeners are just like, just have Chris on and have just give random stories. Just fun facts. Fun facts with Chris. Yep. I guess we could talk about EOP. I don't know. It's, it's not the best transition. But. Oh, so yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm a mentor for ELP. I um my my mentee uh, Leah works at the um, University uh, um, uh, Washington University in St. Louis, and she's one of the she's a rock star. So I feel like she's my mentor sometimes in terms of um. Uh, just in being able to interact with students and kind of finding your passion, passion with the profession. Um, and ELP was something to be quite honest for the first many years in the association, I just never kind of thought I, I would do. Um, but being able to be a part of it has, has been a really cool experience just to kind of put me outside my comfort zone and kind of get to know other people. I kind of, I like the aspect of, you know, you're, you're meeting other people who, um, you may not be associated with and um, you're kind of helping kind of, well, here's what, here was my path. You know, you can try your own different path because I think we all get in a rut where this, when you've been to a bunch of conferences or you've been involved in the Dakota for a while, like you have your group, you've got your people that you look forward to seeing at a conferences. Um, and it's good to sometimes break out of that a little bit and meet other people Um and so that was that was one of the fun parts of EOP for me. Yeah, we have a little quote here from you um, and an article about EOP. And you and I look forward to working with the new class of mentees and learning more about what the next wave of academic advisors and leaders are working on at their campuses. So I think that quote just sums up what okay. you just answered. <laughs> hey, all right. At least, you know, I wrote it then. So that's good. And if I may, I don't I, I don't mean to be redundant here. Most of our listeners know, but ELP is of course the Emerging Leaders Program. <laughs> and then Chris, were you were you a mentee 
in that before, or did you just go straight to mentor? I I just jumped straight to mentor. Um, uh, it's not that I applied and was rejected. It was just I was at a point where I um, was kind of doing my thing within the association, kind of building building up from there. So that is very cool. Very cool. And as we wind down, um, I have another not quote from you, but I was on Reddit trying to get prepped for this and. There's actually like I'm assuming this is a student, but they they name dropped you in there. Um, oh God! And, yeah. Oh good Lord! I stay off of rate my professor. I stay off of Reddit. Oh God! I am not very active on social media. So uh oh. But they were talking about how they took uh, an engineering design intro to engineering design, and they said it was tough, and you know that uh, they talk about prerequisites and things like that. And I'm assuming based off how it was written that maybe they were like a transfer student. Um, and maybe there's like some prerequisites that they didn't take at their previous school before going uh, to Pitt. But essentially, they were uh, saying that, you know, you might get, you know, you want to get help, go and ask Chris Kirchhoff. And they had a link to your, I guess, your staff contact info from the website. So I thought okay. that was pretty cool. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah. I um, When you'd start dealing with the depths of the internet, I, I get a little scared there for a second. Um, no, I, the, the students who I get to work with, um, especially from the transfer side of things, they're a great bunch of students. It's just a matter of helping them navigate through the things that people assume they already know. That That's very well said. I, um, I As a first-generation student at my first job, I created like a campus lingo web page that I, I sometimes forget how important that might still be, even though I'm at a bigger university now. There are some things that, why would you know that if nobody ever told you and if you're the first one to chart that path? Yep. Yeah. And if you're institutions like ours, we use so many different abbreviations for things. And there are so many, There also there's abbreviations that have overlapped with Nakata. Now we have an experiential learning and um, professional engagement office, which is ELPE. And I'm like, wait, ELP? Oh, oh no, ELPE. Okay. Um, and, but yeah, no, learning those acronyms and making sure students are assured there's no such thing as a dumb question. Like, feel free to ask because you're not supposed to know everything. And there are probably some seniors out there who don't know everything. So, you know, just ask, always ask. Although sometimes we expect them to know everything at orientation once we dump a whole bunch of information on them in a few hours. <laughs> I always refer to that as like trying to grab a drink of water from a fire hydrant. I mean, it just, you can't expect them to know everything. It is, it's a lot. It's a lot that comes really quick. Uh, yet another gem from Chris, trying to grab a drink of water from a hot fire. That's what I'm going to use for my argument for a flipped orientation that I'm trying to push here at DePaul College. <laughs> It's go. almost like you need a delayed orientation. It's like, okay, now that you've been here, now here's the real stuff you need to know. Interesting. That, yeah. I wonder if anybody's doing that. Orientation follow-up, orientation part due, you know. <laughs> and are they kind of a delayed orientation? <laughs> you know? I think you need to trademark that. <laughs> I'll get my lawyers on it. <laughs> but this was a fun interview. I, I enjoyed it, especially the, the mascot story. So... <laughs> But if anyone's listening that has any questions or wants to reach out to you, what's the best way? 
Um, best way is probably my email at the university. It's um, chk63, which is uh, C as in Charlie, H as in hotel, K as in kilo, 63 at pit.edu. And I know that because I always keep the phonetic alphabet right above my screen. So whenever I have to like give anybody names, it's like, okay, yeah, Whiskey Sierra in, you know. But um, yeah, chk63 at pit, P-I-T-T dot E-D-U is uh, my contact info. Um, you can probably also find me somewhere on the Nakata website um, with some contact info as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, that's, those are the spaces that I live in. He gives us the email address, but then gives us another tidbit, a, a little nugget of knowledge there of how we can easily refer and and be able to... <laughs> Throughout names and we're doing the letters. So appreciate it, Chris. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. I've oh, learned no so much. Learned so much today, Chris. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jamie, for being on today and helping out with the interviewing duties. And of course, thanks, Chris, for being on the podcast again. Third time's a charm. I'm glad we got to finally do a proper interview with you. Now let's get to our next interview, and that is with Arlene Leon Guerrero from University of Guam. All right, joining us on today's podcast is Arlene E. Leon Guerrero. Arlene is a senior student academic counselor in the Student Counseling and Advising Services Unit at the University of Guam. She received her BA in Behavioral Science from Laredo Heights College and her MA in Education and Guidance and Counseling from the University of Guam and a graduate certificate in academic advising from Kansas State University. She has many years of experience in academic and career advisement, working with diverse student populations. She is the first year seminar coordinator and lead advisor. Arlene collaborates with faculty in the areas of first year student retention, student success, career development, and well-being. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me, Matt. (laughs) I'm excited for you to be here. And Let's go ahead and we'll dive right into the questions. Um, so, you know, I know we both know each other. You're part of Nakata Region 9. Uh, you're very involved in that. Uh, you work at University of Guam. So can you take us back and kind of tell us your path, your journey into higher education and academic advising? Yeah, so it actually started when I took a psychology course in high school, sorry, going way back. Um, and I was really interested in, in just the whole aspect of psychology. So um, moving on to <clears throat> attending college, I really wanted to pursue, you know, that field. Um, so the college that I went to, Loretto Heights College, offered a behavioral science. And so that incorporated, you know, um, sociology, psychology, um, and other related fields. So I thought, that would be a good way to go. And then from there, after I um, graduated uh, with my BA, I decided uh, to work a little bit. And so I did some social work. I moved back to Guam and did some social work and then decided, well, I really want to get my master's. And so I thought working in the schools, the uh, public school system would be a good way to do that uh, because it also allowed uh, me time to do that. So, you know, with the school getting out at a certain time, it allowed me to do evening classes. And so uh, that's where that led me to uh, pursue the master's in education uh, with a specialization in guidance and counseling. And then from there, was when I ended up getting uh, employed with uh, 
uh, the Guam public school system as a guidance counselor. So I was doing that for quite a while. And then there was opportunity for me to move to um, higher ed. And it started off with the Guam Community College. So um, I did, uh, I worked with the um, TRIO programs as a counselor. Uh, So that was uh, a really good experience. And so I did that for quite a while. And then from there, uh, another opportunity opened up here at the university. Uh, so um, I decided to pursue that and uh, ended up here, uh, which was, I felt like moving from, you know, the Guam public school system uh, into higher ed, you know, landing me here at the university. I feel like, wow, I've kind of made it, <laughs> you know, it's like my stepping stones to, yeah, to where I wanted to be. So um, that's kind of where it started off in advising. I really enjoy, you know, working with students, talking to students, you know, getting, you know, to know them as, as, you know, individuals, uh, hearing about their personal, you know, narratives. I think it's really important as advisors to do that. Um, And I know it's hard with busy schedules that we have, but we really have to make the time to, you know, get to know, you know, our advisees. Um, So I think that's real important. Um, So that's kind of, yeah, (laughs) what led me into advising. Yeah, and I 100% agree with you when you're you're saying about we still have to, like, make sure that we're, you know, engaging with our students in the sense that even though we're busy, like, the student coming into our office or on Zoom, they don't know what our schedule's like, and but they have that meeting scheduled or that drop-in to get their questions answered. And, you know, and we kind of have to be, like, the people person. And make sure that we, they are getting our attention, that we're 100% focused on them. But it can be very tough sometimes, especially with like peak advising season, which a lot of yeah. times seems to be like all year. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and when, yeah. when you were doing uh, working in the, the public school system, was that like middle school, high school? I did every level. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did middle school. Middle school was my the longest length of time. Uh, as a guidance counselor. And then uh, my last couple of years were at the high school. So I did every level. Basically, students growing up, you, you, you've you had an impact on them at both middle, high school, community college, university. How was the transition like going from you know being a guidance counselor in the public schools and then transitioning to the community college and then to the university? How was that like? It wasn't that difficult because um, when I uh, started at the community college, um, the TRIO programs, we were still working with high school students. So that kind of made it um, an easier transition. Um, But the uh, working with um, the college students, that that was really different. (laughs) It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, when you move into higher ed, um, everything is just done differently. And, you know, the students are also different, <laughs> more mature, I say, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And it is something where, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of transferable skills that you brought from your previous uh, work and then to higher ed. But then there's also still that learning curve as well, because it, like you said, it is way, way different. <laughs> yes. And you're at University of Guam. How would you describe that your institution? Well, we are 
I like to say that our university uh, really cares about, you know, its students. Um, we are student-centered, and um, the last we we've just made so much progress in in trying to provide our students, you know, with the support system systems uh, that they need. And so we've got uh, support also from, you know, our administrators, our president, our senior vice president. They've been really supportive in, in, uh, in helping us. Good. And with your role, you're the senior student academic counselor. So what does that role entail for you? So I... In addition to advising, we advise or I advise undeclared students. Um, but that doesn't mean that if a declared student comes in that we don't, you know, entertain them or help them. We do. Uh, we try not to turn them away, even though, but we encourage them to, you know, seek out their uh, program advisors. I also teach. So I teach the first year seminar. So that is part of my, um, you know, responsibility is to teach and then also oversee the program, the first year seminar program. And then I, let's see, I uh, oversee nine, uh, we have nine faculty. So, uh, and that's, you know, in a given year. So I have to provide, you know, um, uh, some training and go over, you know, um, best practices, you know, with uh, teaching uh, strategies, um, and things like that. Uh, I also, um, the other hat I wear is I also am a chair for the um, Student Discipline and Appeals Committee. So yeah, <laughs> I do that as well. So that's kind of, you know, my role right now. Um, I, I was previously the uh, point of contact for the Student Veterans uh, or the Veterans Resource Center. Yeah, so I was doing that for a couple of years, and so um, I've been assigned to do a different project. Uh, so we have someone stepping in to take over that. But yeah, I worked with um, student veterans as well. Yeah, so definitely wearing a lot of hats, a lot, yeah. a lot of di lot of different responsibilities. So yeah. must mean it's ne never a dull moment uh, working at University of Guam <laughs> in your position. <laughs> never. <laughs> So I do want to ask you about your advising structure at University of Guam. You know, how does that work? Is it a centralized or decentralized model? Is it, you know, do you have professional advisors in with mixed in with faculty? How does that all work? Yeah. So I say we were were decentralized. So undeclared students will get advised um, in our area under enrollment management through the Triton Advising Center, and then declared students will work with. Um, their professional uh, advisors. And once they have completed um, a certain number of credits, then they would move into uh, advisement with faculty advisors. And so I do want to transition over to talking about the first year uh, seminar. So that's something that you oversee. You talked about it a little bit already. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about what the first year seminar course, how it's structured, how that all works? Yeah, so it is a requirement for all new incoming students with um, zero to 30 credits. Uh, it's required uh, for graduation. 
Um, it's not part of the general education uh, framework, but it, it is required. And so we use the, our curriculum uh, is based off of uh, the seven habits of highly effective college students. Um, in addition to that, we have incorporated a local memoir, um, which uh, focuses on uh, resiliency uh, and resiliency of the Chamorro people during World War II. So um, in essence, you know, one of the main themes of first year seminar is resiliency. And with that, you're working collaboratively a lot with, with the faculty. Um, and are these, because I know sometimes with first year seminar, it might be other advisors that also will teach some of the sections. Um, does that, is that similar to University of Guam or is it different faculty or lecturers that teach? Um, it's actually just one course. And so we've actually started incorporating also because we have a title, um, title three grant. And so with that, we have um, included financial solvency and career development into the first year seminar. So we do have staff from these uh, different uh, offices to come in and to talk uh, about, you know, their programs. Um, and then any other uh, support program that wants to come in or maybe faculty who want to talk about their programs, they're welcome to uh, come in as well. So tied to that is a chapter in a book that you were a part of. And mm -hmm. that one, the book was called Optimizing Higher Education, Learning Through Activities and Assessment. And the specific title or chapter was titled uh, Regionalism, Assessing Students' Academic Resilience Through Reading and Response Activities. Can you talk more about uh, what the chapter was examining and how, how that all came about? Yeah. So, Two faculty members um, had wanted to collaborate uh, with myself uh, to do a to do some research on on uh, uh, tomorrow students within FY or who identified as tomorrow um, in the FY 101 course, and uh, we took a look at their uh, work, specifically a resiliency essay that is required for all students. And yeah, we just evaluated their responses or based on the rubric. And so um, and then we talked more about, you know, how resilient uh, they, you know, they are based on what they've learned through that specific local memoir that we used in the course. Nice. And then uh, you said it was the FI 101? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And so that's the, the your first year uh, seminar. First, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. First nice. year seminar. Not, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess even talking more about the first year seminar, like you're incorporating a lot of that career development piece as well as like the well being piece. How important do you feel that first year students really need to kind of start thinking about the career piece and also thinking about themselves, whether it's well being or whatnot? Yeah, with the career development, um, it's real important. Um, uh, now is the time for them to, you know, start thinking about maybe doing internships, uh, volunteering. Uh, we know that employers, when they look at resumes, um, they, you know, 
they like to see students who have volunteered, meaning they're not just doing, you know, work for pay, but that they're willing to go beyond that. And that, you know, speaks of leadership. So, um, yeah, it's it's real important to start early. And that's what we're doing here um, through um, that Title III grant I was speaking about earlier. Um, so, Actually, we've just had the presentations that have been started um, on career development. And so we also have a, it's called the Triton Career Connect. Um, so students can create their accounts and then have access to different job opportunities, um, different uh, career assessments, you know, so they have a lot of resources through, um, through that uh, Triton Career Connections web page. I'm just trying to think back when I was a student, you know, when I first started, it was like, well, I'll get to that later. I got to focus on my classes and try to get the best grades possible. And then all of a sudden it's senior year and I'm thinking, I have never gone to the career center. <laughs> what, am I, what was I thinking? Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're promoting is to, you know, encourage students to um, go seek, go, go to the career development office. You know, um, they are so willing to help students. Um, there's a small staff, but they, um, they are just willing to help. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's throughout their different, um, you know, their, their college career. So you start out freshman year, then you move on to your sophomore year. And so um, the career development office does have a portfolio where they've got, um, a checklist of things that, you know, freshman students, you know, should have done or should be doing and then proceed on to their sophomore year. Same thing. Uh, so that by the time they're seniors, um, you know, they've got their portfolio all set up, um, looks real nice, you know, will look nice on a resume. Um, yeah. And and then, uh, you know, hopefully secure a job. Yeah. And I know some institutions like mine included the career center or career counselors are separate from, let's say, like the academic advising aspect of it. You have some institutions where maybe they're all within the same department or office, and maybe even some institutions where it might be a dual role of being a, a career advisor and counselor as well as an academic um, advisor or counselor. But let's say you have departments where you have like your academic advisors uh, and then you also have, let's say, a different department is your uh, career counselors or career advisors. What's your advice with um, having departments that are separate like that be able to collaborate more or have more like streamless passing on from, you know, there's one student to getting to talking to uh, a career counselor or advisor? Yeah, I think it's real important for, you know, uh, both the, you know, advising and career advisors to work together, to collaborate. It's real important because it's as if you can't have one without the other. And even in our first year seminar, when we start doing academic planning, we have to talk about, okay, careers, right? Especially for those who maybe are undeclared, haven't really decided yet. There's got to be that conversation. So, yeah, it, there's definitely a, a connection. And, and so there really needs to be collaboration between both. Yeah, absolutely. 100, 100% agree with that. And one of the things that you've pursued is the graduate certificate in academic advising. 
How did you find out about that? And how was it getting through that certificate program? Um, I actually found out about it just on the uh, Nakata website. You know, I'm always searching and, and, you know, looking for best practices, articles, anything that could help, you know, us with advising. And so I came across that and I'm always wanting to elevate (laughs) my, you know, um, my strengths and um, just, you know, the whole thing aspect of advising. And so I thought that would be a great opportunity because it's all online. Uh, that, that was, uh, that was helpful. I mean, you know, there was my experience with um, asynchronous <laughs> uh, courses. So yeah, so um, it helped, you know, uh, when we started to go uh, online with teaching because of, you know, the pandemic. So I, I'm, I'm glad I had that experience. Um, and then just the courses themselves and um, collaborating with other advisors from different universities was a great experience too. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that uh, I did it. <laughs> yeah, and if anything, there's always the, I think they have the PhD now in academic advising. So there's always more to, to do. Yeah, I, yeah. I've seen that one too. <laughs> it's like we get, told, to, we get told all the time, like the education never stops. <laughs> yeah. And then there's always um, all those tutorials that, you know, we have access to, right, as numbers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All those yeah. e-tutorials. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, yeah. there's always something it looks like. <laughs> And speaking of Nakata, you also are involved in Nakata um, and also within Region 9. Can you talk about uh, your involvement within the organization? Yeah, so I am the uh, awards and membership coordinator. And so my role is to is to get members uh, to, you know, submit nominations for the different um, awards and scholarships that are available. And then once those are done, I coordinate, um, you know, the evaluations with uh, the readers. And uh, once that's completed, then I submit uh, the results or the winners to um, executive office. Yeah, and I think that's that's a fun kind of fun thing to coordinate because you also once you get to notify the winners, and you know, and, and I'm sure they get all excited that that they won. But then a lot of the awards too, they, there's also the, not only the benefit, they get a certificate, but they also sometimes get registration covered or, you know, they get um, so, some sort of stipend type of deal, um, which I think is great because it's also promoting, hey, attend conferences and get that networking and that professional development. So it's probably nice to see that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to see what... Um you know, other advisors are doing at their campuses, um, you know, through these nominations. So, um, and a lot of them are really great. Yeah. And I hope anyone listening thinks too that, hey, maybe they can submit a nomination for someone that they know, or also a lot of times they can self-nominate too, correct? Yes, definitely. And I guess, you know, sometimes too, I like asking people about you know, what got you to kind of put your name in the hat to run for that position? So when I first heard of Nakata, I really, because I was just told, um, okay, you need to go to a conference, so find a conference. So Nakata, that was, you know, 
what I was hearing, I said, okay, not realizing that um, they were broken into regions. And so I was attending <laughs> quite a different region conferences, not realizing that, hey, there's region nine, um, until I attended uh, the region nine conference in Hawaii, not this last one, but many years ago. And I sat near someone um, during, I think it was one of the keynote uh, sessions. And so um, the advisor sitting next to me, she was from San Francisco State, I believe. And so she asked me where I was from. And I said, well, I'm from Guam, you know, and I, I work at the University of Guam. She goes, oh, you guys need to be part of this region. I said, hmm, you're right. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started, where I realized, oh, my goodness, you know, here's Region 9. This is where we belong. Although we weren't really officially recognized, um, the territories, um, until a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, I know that we uh, sort of put a plug in Charlie Nutt's ear at one, at one conference we were at. <laughs> and so um, I'm so glad that it happened. Uh, so it's nice to be a part of, yeah officially a part of yeah. the region. And sometimes yeah. it, it's it's that randomness. You just happen to be sitting next to someone, they happen to make a comment and then got you thinking. And then, yeah, and then yeah, if you find Charlie Nutt when he was executive director and talk to him, yeah, sometimes he'll, he'll be giving you, uh, volunteering you to do things, but then also he'll is very much open to hearing suggestions and your comments and all, and it's kind of like it, it all started at, at one place and look at where it is now. And Guam wasn't officially recognized and now is. And I'm, I'm glad it's part of Region 9. So, yeah, it, it's everyone will find their 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 part in, in Nakata. And some people who've been members for a few years, if it's something where they haven't you know had that moment yet, they will at some point. Uh, you just really just got to be out there being at a session and just kind of interact and opportunities come about. Yeah. And as, as far as running, you know, for um, this particular position um, on the steering committee, um, I just thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Nobody knows me, but I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. And, and even if I don't get it, at least I'm putting, you know, my name and, you know, that Guam exists. And yeah. So um, that was my reason for that. I'm, I'm really um, happy that, you know, I'm able to participate along with the rest of you. So. Yeah. And again, just like you're, like you're saying, just, just said, you know what, let me just do it. Let me see, see what happens. And funny thing is sometimes with some of these positions, it might only just be the one person that runs uh, for that, or it might just be like one or, you know, two or three. So it's really, it's like, Hey, you have a good chance of, of probably winning. And yeah. I always tell the story to people where, Hey, if you don't get it the first time, do it again the next time. Or you might find another position that's even more interesting. I know for me, like a few years ago, I applied for region nine for the social media and communication coordinator. And I didn't get that one. It actually went to to Winnie Tang, and yeah. I mean, and I thought everything's meant to be, and she did so fantastic with it. And I was like, I probably was never going to do any of this if I got that position, and it was good because it it helped me to grow and be able to develop more. Not getting that that, that position, but yeah, yeah, things things happen the way they're supposed to. 
And I want to go back to another publication that you are part of. And I think this was an article. Um, this one was titled Indigenous Student Experience in Higher Education Implementation of Culturally Sensitive Support. And in this one, in your research that that was done, can you talk more about this article and, you know, what you've seen, I guess, in the research, what you've seen institutions doing to serve uh, Indigenous students? Yeah, so um, my dean, uh, Dr. Camacho, and I collaborated um, on this uh, on this chapter. Um, we did, you know, research what other universities, you know, what the movement is now um, in uh, supporting Indigenous students, you know, at the universities. We looked at um, different, you know, student success initiatives uh, to help Indigenous students. Um, and and a lot of universities are already doing it um, here at our university. You know, we've got um, like TRIO, that's one of them. Um, we have, you know, just a variety of support services that um, uh, help Indigenous students. I like that, you know, I think a lot of the themes here for, for this interview have been those collaborations and, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of work with others and get to you know, create these chapters and put this research out there, which is always something we hear at conferences too, like you need to write, 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 write. Um, I guess, what's your advice with that? I mean, you've had your experience with with writing and publications. For those that are like, I'm interested, but I don't even know where I'm supposed to start. I mean, what, what would you say to them? Um, I would say, you know, maybe find find someone who you feel comfortable with, that um, that you could do collaborative work together um, and, you know, maybe have the same ideas and then just, you know, sit down, talk about, you know, a topic, right, that you would like to, um, you know, do research on and write about. So um, that's kind of how it worked for me. Um, and, you know, the other person could be, you know, well-versed in, in writing. And so I just kind of, you know, learn from the other, you know, the other person. Um, so that's kind of how it's, yeah, how it's worked for me. So. Yeah. And then of course, I know like some of the annual conferences, like I'll have their like scholarly paper sessions that you can mm-hmm. learn more about things like that. Or um, I think they even do like their Saturday writing days. So, you know, th- there's definitely opportunities as well with that. And as yeah. we wind down with, this interview, you know, we talked about how a lot of hats that you wear and like kind of how busy it is uh, being in academic advising, but still, you know, a, a wonderful job and career. What are your hobbies and interests outside of work, outside of higher ed, if you have time for even that? <laughs> um, I really just like to relax at home, you know, um, maybe go, you know, to uh, the beach every once in a while, um, just just relaxing things. Maybe read, you know, read a book that's maybe not related to, just you know, yeah, not related to, you know, my work, but just yeah. Hey, that's that's a perfect way to put it, you know. And even yeah, yeah reading a book that's not related to what you do, <laughs> we have plenty of those articles and books to read <laughs> during yeah. work, you know, or part of conferences. So. Yeah, to have something that's not related to that is a great way to relax. And if listeners yeah. have any questions or, you know, want to connect, how's, what's the best way for them to reach you? 
Um, so I can be reached via email. Um, that's Arlene, A-R-L-I-N-E-L-G at triton.uog.edu um, or via phone um, 671-735-3342. Awesome. Well, I've enjoyed this time together for this podcast. Arlene, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Matt. Thanks so much, Arlene. Great chatting with you about your work in both academic and career advising, coordinating the first year seminar, and your publication collaborations on academic resilience and implementing culturally sensitive support. And that does it for episode 54. Don't forget to follow us on social media and also subscribe to Adventures in Advising on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, you name it. Episode 55 is right around the corner. Keep advising. (laughs) 